0: Life-changing talk radio, worldwide at WAVA.com. You're listening to 105.1 FM, WAVA. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland.
1: Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us.
2: The theme verse for this series of messages is Psalm 127, verse number one. I want to read this to you from the New Living Translation. It says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. There's an older translation that says, Unless the Lord build the house, they labor or they work in vain who build it. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord does what? Builds the house. It's interesting that all throughout the pages of the Bible you will find God making reference to this word house. The word house is used time and time again in both the Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, and Aramaic. You find this word house coming up again and again. God emphasizes the value that he places upon your house. So it's important to understand what he's talking about when he says building your house. Unless the Lord build the house They labor in vain who build it. What is your house? According to scripture, your house relates to at least four things. Your house first and foremost is you. You are a house. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Bible speaks of God building your house, he is building your life. And unless the Lord builds your life, you're laboring in vain to try to build a life. So you need God to help you build your life. And then your house refers to your family. It refers to that intimate, those intimate relationships that you have in life. And so it's the family that God places you in. The family that you have that's a natural family. Your family of believers. Unless the Lord builds the house, your family, they labor in vain that build. A lot of people are trying to build a family without God. If you try to build a family without God, you're missing a critical element. You can't build it. It will be in vain. And then the third element of the word house, how it's used in the Bible as it refers to your work, the work that you do, the work of your hands, Your profession, your occupation, whatever whatever it is that you give your attention to on a regular basis for making a living with your life. So that refers to your house, unless the Lord build a house. You, your life, your family, your work. And then it refers to your service for God. That's what you do in the house of God, how you serve God. So all four of these categories have to do with God building your house. And God wants to do a miracle in those four areas, or miracles in those four areas of your life. He wants to do miracles in you. He wants to do miracles in your family. He wants to do miracles in the work that you perform with your life. He wants to do miracles in and through the service that you render to God. God cares about your house. He does. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So part of building a house involves understanding the word that I want to share with you today. And that is the word legacy. There's something that the Bible refers to as generational impact. It's called legacy. Your heritage is what you're handed. Your legacy is what you build. Everybody is handed a heritage. Everybody builds a legacy. Those are two different things. You can't control necessarily what you are handed, but you can control what you build with your life, the legacy that you make out of it. And the Bible refers to this generational dimension of legacy. Notice Exodus chapter 19, verse number 3. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. Notice he's referring to Jacob. Jacob is dead. Jacob has been gone for many generations, but God is still talking about the house of Jacob. Notice Joshua 17 verse 17. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph. Again, Joseph has been dead for many generations. But yet God is still identifying a certain group of people with the legacy of Joseph. 1 Kings chapter 13 verses 33 and 34. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam. That led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. And then finally, Second Chronicles 22, verse number 3, referring to one of the kings of Israel. He too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. So four times, house, 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 house. We could give you many other references, but what I want you to see is there is generational impact with your house. Centuries after people lived, God is still talking about their house. Remember again, the heritage of your life is what your hand did. The legacy of your life is what you build. The Bible is very clear about us creating legacies by the way we live. Notice Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And he, this is speaking of God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers. Notice this. What does it say there? To the third and fourth generation. I'm going to come back to this, these two verses in a moment. But what I want you to see right now is the lasting impact of a house. Here it speaks of the fact that if we're not serving God in the way that we need to and learning from God as we should, it has an impact to multiple generations following us. Now I want to take you to the second point because it really does build on the principle that I've laid out that your house is going to outlast you. God wants to free your house from every generational curse and bring you into generational blessings. I want you to look with me again at verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34 and he that's God passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord that is he's revealing himself to Moses then he reveals his nature the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to to how many thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin anybody want to stop there with me and say thank God that he forgives wickedness rebellion and sin aren't you glad for that okay That's who he is, maintaining love to thousands. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So this ought to get your and my attention. That while God is predisposed toward showing his love to thousands, we can short circuit that in our lives There are certain things that can be a part of our lives that if we're not careful, it can short circuit the process. It refers to those who are guilty, that the Lord punishes the guilty by allowing the sins of the fathers to pass on to the children, to the third and fourth generation. Well, what is that all about? I think we need to understand that word guilty. I ask you to circle it for a reason, because that word has real meaning for us and value in terms of its understanding. It's a word that means this, the unrepentant. That God allows the patterns of the unrepentant to be repeated. It's not as though God is taking your sin and putting those sins on your kids or your grandkids. No, God doesn't do that. That's not the nature of God. But if we are unrepentant in the way that we live, then the fact that we are unrepentant in the way we live means that what, how we live is going in a negative way is going to continue to impact our children and our children's children to the fourth generation. So I think it's very important that we learn how to repent. How about you? Because I think we have the wrong concept of repentance. Oftentimes, we think of repentance as a moment we sort of feel sorry about something. But real repentance, according to the Bible, is when you and I recognize something as being not the right way to be or the right way to live. We open up to that reality. We understand the impact it's having in our lives. And we say, God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I am changing. I am turning in your direction. I'm taking the truth that now has been revealed to me. I'm going to live now in the application of that truth rather than denying it by my behavior I'm now going to repent I am turning in your direction God so it's not about emotions you feel you can feel a lot of sorry emotions and never repent repentance is really not about what you feel it's a godly sorrow and awareness that you and I need to turn in God's direction the key thing to remember here is if we don't we're impacting not only our lives but the lives of our children and our children's children I want to talk to you for a few moments about a generational curse. Because this is what's been referred to. It's often referred to theologically as a generational curse. I want you to listen closely because there's a lot of misunderstanding about generational curses. Generational curse is not some mystical cloud that hangs over your house that sort of jinxes your life. That's not what it is. That's not a generational curse. Here's the definition to my best ability to give you my best definition of a generational curse. Here's what it is. I'm going to read it for you so you'll get the full impact as how I wrote it. A generational curse is a sinful and or negative way of thinking, a sinful pattern of behavior, a set of sinful negative attitudes that a person has picked up and carried on spiritually and emotionally from people who have gone before them. The primary place where we accumulate generational curses in our life is in our family, our family background, because the reality is, is that in your family, whatever family you grew up in, there were issues in your home, correct? Because you said, well, I came from a dysfunctional family. Well, join the crowd. We all did. There's not a single perfectly healthy family. It doesn't exist because all of us are broken, all of us are dysfunctional. There's not a single person who has your complete act together. And so you grew up in a family environment that had certain dimensions to that family environment, perhaps some that was good, some that were not so good, but you picked up stuff in your family. Now, generational curses means that you picked up stuff from a family environment that was sinful that you've never broken the pattern of in your life. It had an impact upon you in your thinking, in your behavior, or in your emotions, and you've never severed that in your life to move forward freely from it. And so it becomes a curse, not becomes there's some mystical sort of jinx upon your life or demon resting upon your mind, but what you must understand. It's a pattern of your thinking and living. There's a psychology to it as well as a spirituality to it. And so we pick this stuff up and it gets carried on to the third and fourth generation. Some of you were raised in families that were quite difficult to be raised in. And some really hard stuff that you experienced in your life. And I'm here to tell you today that the God we serve is not limited by the severity of your background. He is able to redeem you from it, okay? It's important to understand. It's all through the Bible. Now... This doesn't happen without some things on our part. There's some things we have to do. Let me walk you through six things that are essential here. The first thing you have to do is you have to recognize them. You can't deal with something you don't recognize. And I'm telling you, I'm still recognizing stuff in my life. How about you, okay? Number two, you have to own it. This is important, owning it. Don't blame something or someone else for it. You can't do anything about what happened to you. You can do something about your future. You can't change your past. You can change your future. You can't change what was handed to you, but you can change what you do with what was handed to you. And so ownership says it's not a matter of denying what happened to you. It's a matter of saying, okay, I'm going to own the responsibility of doing something about this. I will be the turnaround generation. Whatever was handed to me, I will be the turnaround generation. That somewhere in you, you so say, I'm going to own this. I will be the turnaround generation. The next thing that's necessary is you and I have to repent. Everybody say that word, repent. Okay, Repentance is not about what somebody else did. Repentance is about you. Okay, It's about where you are in your life. And so you repent of these things. Why? Because there are patterns that need to be broken in you. Okay, And the best way to sever the grip of the adversary in your life is by repenting. The devil will not stay around a repentant person. Then number four, release people who've contributed to the situation. Release them. Let go of them. This is so important. and It's perhaps the hardest thing you'll do in the process. Because when you're feeling the pain of a heritage that was handed to you, and you're living a life that is somehow bound by things that happen to you, you want to be free, but you feel bound to those things. The tendency to blame and to be bitter is there. And bitterness is a very subtle thing. Let me tell you this. Sometimes you don't even know when you're bitter. Yeah. Bitterness is extremely... The Bible says the devil can show up as an angel of light in your life. Okay. And sometimes we don't even realize how bitter we are about stuff in our soul until we begin to let it be examined under the light of God's love and grace and mercy and truth. And we begin to realize, wow, you know what? I'm holding on to something that I really need to let go of. Let me tell you why this is important. Because as long as you're bitter toward the people that left you with the heritage that you have received and you're angry at them, until you free them, you won't be free. Okay? That's just the way it works. Until you, until you free them, you're never going to be free because your focus is on them, okay? And you can't move on to growth as long as you're... Anytime your focus is on somebody else and what they've done to you, you're, you're stuck right there. You'll remain stuck as long as you live in that place. And forgiveness is the best thing you will ever do. Why? Because forgiveness frees you. And forgiveness also frees God, if you will, to work in other people's lives, because oftentimes we're actually in the way of God. We're trying to execute judgment on someone that God says, I never called you to be the judge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay? The next thing that is essential in the process, if you want, how many of you want to break generational curses in your life? Do you? Okay. You've got to apply the power of Jesus, shed blood. You apply the power of Jesus shed blood over everything that you've picked up from your past that is negative, that is wrong, that is a that is a heritage that you no longer want to be your legacy. You declare that there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of Jesus. I'm here today to declare to you and remind you of something that many of you already know. There is great power in the blood of Jesus. The enemy cannot stay around the applied and pled blood of Jesus Christ. The enemy flees at the pleading of the blood of Jesus. My house is under the covering of Jesus' blood. You proclaim the power of the blood of the Lamb. You read the story in the book of, in the book of Exodus. You'll find that those that were under the covering of the blood were not touched that night when the death angel came through. There's power in the blood. The last thing I'll mention here in this section, we'll move to our last point. You need to become a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. What that means is you better be on the grow Because if you're not on the grow, you're going to have trouble. You're going to continue to have trouble. And you don't have to see Christian growth is your pathway to freedom. See, we try to make up all these things that make us free. But I'll tell you something. The pathway to freedom is Christian growth. Jesus said it in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, if you continue in my word... You are my disciples. You are my students indeed. And you shall know the truth. And what will the truth do for you? The truth will set you free. And so liberation comes from our... Ingestion of and digestion of and application of God's truth, God's word, and so the thing that liberates you is not some mystical process. The thing that that liberates you is the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the truth of God's word. These are the most powerful forces you can ever invite into your life. And you know the truth, and the truth sets you free. So get truth into your heart and your mind continually. So, your heritage is what you're handed. Your legacy is what you become with your life. And God says, What I want you to do is I want you to exchange the generational curses and realize now you can begin to walk in generational blessings. Last point together. That means that you need to prepare your house for generational blessings. Just like that you can inherit generational curses, you can inherit generational blessings. Let me tell you something today. Listen closely. You would not even be here today if God had not already given you some blessings in your life, okay? All along your journey through the years, yes, you might have had some really tough stuff that happened to you. But God's been working in your life all these years trying to give you the help that you need. He wants to continue to give you the help that you need to get you into the flow of all the blessings He has in store for you. And all throughout the years, God has brought people into your life just to help you get on the pathway to blessing and get off the pathway of curses. Amen? And when you realize the people that God has placed in your life, I was thinking about this in my own life and just how grateful I am for the people that God placed in my life. And and that, by the way, should be your first response when you realize that God has put people in your life to get you on the pathway. But you ought to be grateful for that. You ought to honor them. There's some verses there you can see on your notes. And you ought to imitate them. You ought to do everything you can to appreciate the people that have brought good to your life and are bringing good to your life. Because so often we get focused on the negative and all the bad and we lose sight of the good that God has brought. You would not even... Some of you, a year ago, you couldn't have dreamed to be in church on a Sunday morning, okay? I mean, you were barely getting over Saturday night, okay, by this time on Sunday morning, right? Okay, right? And now every Sunday where you're in church, why? Because God has been drawing you away from the curses to the blessing, amen? And many of you can look over your life, you see how God, you need to be grateful for the investment God has made in you to get you where you are today, amen? And the investment he's trying to make in you today to get you where you need to be in the days to come. So if you're not grateful for that and you don't honor that and you don't appreciate that, you'll miss it, okay? You'll miss a very gift that God's given you. And then you say, now, based upon the power of what Jesus has done for me and the awareness that God's for me, He's not against me, He's bringing people even into my life to help me, and I honor that, I appreciate that, I'm grateful for that, Then now I'm going to begin to prepare my house for the legacy that God wants me to leave. And let's go to the book of Deuteronomy as we're wrapping up here today, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We're going to talk about how to prepare your house for blessing. I'm not going to cover this in great depth because the rest of the series is going to kind of unpack a lot of what I want to start with in this last section today. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may do what? Fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And that, so that you may enjoy long life. Now, what we just read there is the shift from generational curses to generational what? Blessing. You see that? So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you so that you may be, enjoy long life. Now, how does this happen? He goes on in that very same chapter, verses 6 through 9, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, not in your head, in your heart, okay? impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on the door frames of your... Houses and on your gates. So let's just, stay, just take a moment here and think about this. So God says, I want to bring you into generational blessing. How does this happen? How do you prepare your way for it? The, prepare the way for it? Well, you begin to get God's commandments in your heart, okay? Not just in your head, not just information about God, but the love of God where? In your heart. And then you begin to take what's in your heart. You impress them on your children. What does it mean to impress the laws or commands or the word of God upon your children? How do you impress your children with this stuff? A lot of Christians have the wrong idea about how you impress your kids with spiritual things. You don't impress your kids with spiritual things by trying to cram the Bible down their throat. You choke them that way, okay? <laughs> You don't impress your kids with spiritual things by slapping them beside the head with commandments from Scripture. Now, should you teach them the Bible? Absolutely. But you, the greater thing to realize here, you should, yes, teach. The Bible says, talk about them when you're a house. Share them along the way. Let it be a part of your family communication that you're in love with God. You're in love with God's Word. You ought to read the Bible to your kids. We did that with our kids growing up every night. We had devotions. We shared time together. We prayed together. All that stuff is valuable. But the most important thing to do here is to impress them on your children. What does it mean to impress them on your children? What does it mean when you impress somebody? It means there's something about them that captures your attention and says, I want to be like that. That's what it means to impress. And when you're impressed with someone, it means that there's something about that person that wears over well onto you and that you want to follow their example. And so the best thing that we can do, and this is an ongoing journey, nobody gets this perfect. Aren't you glad that we don't have to be perfect to be in the flow of blessing? Amen? Okay. We do have to be repentant, but we don't have to be Perfect. So there's a difference between being repentant and being perfect. So I'm not talking about being perfect, but I'm talking about being aware of the fact that there's an impression that we give to our children by the way that we live our lives so they can see the life of God at work in us. And that means that when we do make mistakes along the way, that we are able to acknowledge those mistakes along the way and to turn the corner and to get things back to where they need to be, so that they see the gospel working in our lives, in real flesh and blood, imperfect people, but people who nevertheless love God. And again, we prepare our pathway for the flow of generational blessing.
1: You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, senior pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at